Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the horror hell. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself if you dare. Come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. We have two stories for you this evening, but be warned. Our first tale has a way of getting under the skin. I give you Lord of the Sand Written by Stephen Bacon Without Facebook, it never would have happened. We'd have all just continued living our lives, content to let the past remain the past. All the bad feelings would have stayed deeply buried. But Facebook allows you to assemble a ribbon of detritus from your life. A place where current friends mingle with barely remembered school chums. Former work colleagues massed like mementos from all the shit jobs you've ever had. 
I've even got a couple of ex-girlfriends on mine. Just for the sake of old time's sake. What I'm saying is that I realize that the past is a different country. And it certainly was in our case because we'd fought in it. So when the invitation to attend the reunion arrived, I should have just walked away. I should have let bygones be bygones. I should have looked forward instead of back. My God. How I wish I had done just that. By this time, my army career felt like it had happened to someone else. Don't misunderstand. I'm grateful that I experienced the things I did. Grateful, too, for the training and qualifications I attained. Achievements which, once my decade serving queen and country had ended, became the launchpad into my new career as a telecommunications engineer. But as I'd grown older, my political stance had shifted marginally. Operation Desert Storm had seemed an absolute necessity at the time. However, things had changed. I now felt uneasy about the way the West was dealing with the Middle East. Twenty-five years had made one hell of a difference. Christ, I'm starting to sound like my dad. Anyway, the reunion of the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers 3rd Battalion was arranged for December 2nd in the function room of the Golden Plover, four miles outside of Hastings. It had been chosen largely due to its accessibility from London and its close proximity to the home of the organizer, Sean Adams. I hadn't seen Sean, or Beaky, as we called him, since Fallujah 1991. But his Facebook photos told me he barely changed other than a receding hairline and a few wrinkles. I was curious to catch up, see what had happened to everyone during the intervening years. I'd initially joined the army with no clear idea of where I was going. Those qualifications that I mentioned earlier, they meant that I was now quite proud of what I'd ended up doing. The group messages suggested there would be quite an attendance of all those invited turned up. I booked into a travel lodge that lay within walking distance of the pub. At the appointed time, I nervously strolled into the function room, trying my best to look as slim as I'd been in the early 90s. The DJ was working overtime and recapturing the era, or Chesney Hawks and Calamy Bad and Jesus Jones, among notable others. I allowed myself to be swept up in a slightly surreal experience of meeting people from my distant past. People I'd once entrusted with my life, but but who now just looked vaguely familiar. The beer bellies and slap hands were in attendance everywhere. Within ten minutes, I had sunk three pints, all the better to steady my nerves. I'd been introduced to several wives, managed to promptly forget their names reminded of a dozen hilarious memories which time had subsequently wiped and raised somber toasts to a few fallen comrades. Then, shortly before nine o'clock, Beaky made his entrance. 
At this point, I probably need to mention that Beaky had occupied a rather special position in our regiment. He'd been a thin, nervous lad, twitchy, quite unprepared for the horrors that awaited us in Iraq. Unfortunately, he hadn't fared well. There were times when he'd skirted close to cracking. He'd been the butt of many of the pranks that had been played, born the brunt of the majority of teasing. Not bullying, specifically, you understand, although I had felt a slight nervousness at seeing him again. A twinge of guilt that had manifested over the intervening years. But I needn't have worried. Biggie was welcomed like a returning hero, his slight frame embraced by drunken ex-squaddies and surprised girlfriends. As organizer of the reunion, he was also congratulated as to its success, with slurred pledges to make it an annual event. Very soon he found himself at my table, occupying the empty seat beside me. We made small talk for a bit. I offered to buy him a drink, but he advised me he was driving, something that puzzled me given how close to the plover he lived. Surely he could afford the cost of a taxi. Nevertheless, I returned from the bar with his coke and another pint for myself. I tried discreetly to make light of his experience in the forces, quizzing him enthusiastically about his current life, overcompensating with the positives. Despite his Facebook pictures indicating otherwise, he appeared rather vacant, brittle, broken even. There was a sallow, haunted sheen to his skin. His eyes constantly watched the door, restless and anxious. He admitted that he'd been prescribed powerful drugs for his insomnia. It seemed like he harbored the same debilitating lack of self-worth he'd displayed back then. I felt dreadfully sorry for him. At that point, he excused himself and went to the toilet. Vicky was obviously edgy as all hell, and deep inside I knew why. Brad Augard was conspicuous by his absence. Six-foot-five, blonde-haired Brad had served as our sergeant. He could handle himself, and by God, did he know it. His bloody biceps were so thick it must have used a gallon of ink just to tattoo the Celtic bands that encircled them. I was relieved that he hadn't shown up even if it meant that the central character from our regiment was missing. We all understood that it was Hoggard's mean streak that had fueled the campaign of victimization that Beaky had been forced to endure. He'd mentally bullied the kid as much as inflicting the physical damage on him, and I took no consolation in the fact that Hoggard had been the instigator of the bullying. Every time I'd looked away or pretended not to hear... Another part of my insight had withered. If I'm perfectly honest, I suspect that most of us had just felt relieved that the victim, Beaky, always Beaky, had been someone else instead of one of us. Anyway, about half nine, I was chatting to a bloke who'd been airlifted out of Iraq early into the tour when he swore under his breath and nodded towards the door. I glanced up and felt my heart sink. 
The disco lights strobed against an imposing figure that was striding into the room. The silhouette was unmistakable. As he crossed the dance floor, I caught sight of Hoggart for the first time in decades. It seemed like nature had played a cruel hand. Unlike the rest of us all, beer bellies, wrinkles, bald heads and jowls. Hoggard had apparently taken very good care of himself. His hair was fashionably cut, a tight shirt accentuating his flat stomach and defined muscles. I noticed quite a few wives and girlfriends watching his progress as he strode over to our table. His skin looked like he'd been fucking airbrushed. I stood and tried to spot Beaky at the bar. Several lads cautiously greeted Hoggard and he'd seemed to bask in the attention. I headed to the bar to distract Beaky. Maybe even prepare him for the appearance of his nemesis. Someone turned and I heard him mutter. Why the fuck has he been invited? Someone replied, Which dickhead invited him anyway? I shrugged. And in that moment, I decided to take on the role of peacemaker. But in the end, it was all needless anyway. The evening progressed not at all in the way I had anticipated. Augard actually proved to be whilst not exactly likable, extremely more amiable than he'd been as our sergeant. His career hadn't progressed further than sergeant, however. That may have had... More to do with his overt sociopathic tendencies than any lack of ambition. And I was heartened to see that Beaky had let bygones be bygones. At one point, I even saw them laughing together. By the time last orders were called at the bar, the whole place had slipped into a merry state of inebriation. We'd all had a bloody good time. My ears were ringing with the music, and I glanced about, intending to get it a final round of drinks. It was then I spotted Hoggard, slumped forward across a table nearby. I made some comment about how the big man obviously wasn't able to hold his beer anymore. Biggie laughed, and he went over to see if he was okay. Hoggard was absolutely paralytic. We attempted to lift him up, his eyes rolling in their sockets. Someone suggested calling an ambulance, and the idea was quickly dismissed. I was just about to volunteer to let him stay in my room at the travel lodge when Beaky piped up, and how he knew Hoggard's address, and as he'd not been drinking, he would drive him home. That was quickly agreed, and it took three of us to help him out to Beaky's Vectra and see them off. Please to stay in touch echoing round the car park. By the time that I returned to the bar, the bell had gone, so I missed the last drink. As a result, I began to sober up slightly. That fact proved to be important later. The crowd had thinned considerably. People were drifting away, swapping phone numbers, drunkenly telling each other how much they'd enjoyed the evening... I felt a satisfied glow at how it had turned out, and then a passing comment tore my cozy world to shreds. I remarked about how unfounded my concerns for Beaky had been, that Hoggard's appearance had failed to spoil the party. 
I received a puzzled glance. I was told that Biggie had made contact with Harker through Facebook and more or less begged him to attend the reunion. To clear my head, I went out to the car park. I looked thoughtfully at the space that the Vectra had recently vacated, suddenly noticing the overflowing bin nearby, its top filled with discarded cigarette ends. There was an empty packet of tablets stuffed in amongst the rubbish, the prescription sticker torn off. I had to use my iPhone to Google the word Flunitrazepam. Recognizing the name Rofenor, a powerful muscle relaxant commonly prescribed for chronic insomnia. The cogs were clicking in my brain. I ran back inside, babbling at the DJ that I needed to know Beaky's address. His blank face masked the concern he must have felt. I demanded to know the contact details of the bloke that had organized the bloody evening. His reluctance crumbled when I told him I'd found Beaky's house keys in the car park. He looked it up on his notepad, and I wrote it down and called a taxi. I was there in half an hour. There was a light burning in every window of Beaky's house. It was a rather shabby, semi-detached property with thin trees casting a shadow under the bay window. I paid the taxi and fought to compose myself as I crept up the drive. He took ages to come to the door... He looked a bit surprised when he saw me, but then I detected something shift behind his eyes. He held the door open and invited me in. The house was silent. It looked like it hadn't been redecorated since John Major had been in power. He led me into the lounge and I sat down on a sagging sofa as its springs wheezed beneath me in protest. Drink... I shook my head. I'd had enough. Besides, I felt rather sick. Where's Hog? He shrugged. Sleeping like a baby, I imagine. I felt relieved at his relaxed manner. Perhaps I was blowing the situation out of all proportion. He's still got his looks, hasn't he? Beaky took a seat in the armchair opposite me. Looked after himself, he did. I nodded. His house was cramped and cluttered. Bric-a-brac and cheap ornamental tap lined the shelves, entirely covering the surface of a scratched sideboard. Yeah, well, he looked well. How's life been since the army? Uh, Sean. He shrugged. Not too bad, I suppose. He looked up sharply. I endured my time into forces, you know, despite what happened. Uh, that's... that's good to hear. Do you think about M days much? I shook my head. No, no, it feels like it happened to someone else. The silence that descended then was bloated and dense. To break it, I said, Do you... A thin smile played around his lips, and he said quietly, Oh, I try not to. To change the subject, I glanced around. You got a nice pad here. He raised his eyebrows. 
Oh, it suits me well enough. I got everything I need here. I don't have many friends. I nodded slowly. Something on a wooden cabinet in the corner caught my eye. What's that there? Oh. Those are my boys. My little boys. I stood and approached. It was a large glass tank. There was a metal lid on top, housing a heater. The interior of the container was dark, deliberately steeped in shadow. A stack of rocks lay half buried in a deep layer of sand. I bent and peered into the far recesses of the tank. What have you got here? Biggie moved behind me. Well, I suppose there are my mementos from our time in Iraq. Do you bring anything back with you? Any trinkets? I looked at him sharply, studying his face. I was thinking of what I had hidden in my loft, wrapped in a plastic bag, an automatic handgun, its serial number filed blank. I turned back to the tank. My God, what is it? Lords of Descend. He moved his face close to the glass. They're my two little babies. His voice had taken on a detached, dreamlike quality. I stared into the tank, my eyes picking out the nest of threads that lined the shallow burrows of sand. I could make out the desiccated husks of several large crickets tucked into a niche. Slowly, expectantly, something scuttled out of the darkness. I could discern the fine hairs that coated the spider's pale legs. Its grotesque mouth anatomy twitched, lending it a monstrous image. Camel spiders. Or wind scorpions, they're sometimes called universally feared in the Middle East. Whilst not dangerously toxic, they possess powerful jaws which can inflict great damage on larger mammals. Some of the African lads refer to them as beard cutters, due to their reputation for clipping hair from sleeping men in order to line their burrows. I thought that was a load of old bollocks, but out in Iraq I had once seen one kill and devour a huge lizard. It was brutal, unforgettable. It was said that the bite released an anesthetic toxin, which allowed it to chew away at the prey's numb flesh without detection. Several years ago, I had watched a documentary on the National Geographic channel, where a camel spider had eaten the leg of a sleeping cat, stripping the flesh down to the bone. They were known as the Lords of the Sand. Christ, mate. Why do you want these fuckers as pets? I was caught halfway between repulsion and fascination. Beaky smiled then, and I noticed his lidded eyes were cast low. I became obsessed with him out in Fallujah. They just seemed to represent something that struck a call with me, I guess. They can actually attack camels, you know. I imported this pair years ago. My eyes searched for the other one, the unseen partner. 
I was only vaguely aware of what Beaky was telling me. I find him fascinating. How something of this size can be unafraid of taking on something as large as a camel. It's quite admirable, don't you think? The bigger they are, and the harder they fall. Something clicked in my brain. I turned to him. Beaky, where is the other one? I can only see one here. He laughed sharply. His face now looked reptilian and unreal. I felt the hairs on my forearms bristle. Oh, the other one is, um, feeding. I peered closely at the tank. Where? I've kept the other one isolated for a week or so. He turned away. Just to get him nice and hungry. In a second, I was pushing past him, moving out of the lounge. The dining room was in darkness, but I could see the light spilling from the stairs. I bounded up them two at once. All good! My voice sounded deafening in the silence. I reached the top of the stairs, feeling disoriented by the doors that faced me. Instinctively, I moved to the left, barging the door with my shoulder. It was the spare bedroom. A lamp illuminated the room from its place in the bedside cabinet. The next few seconds were difficult to comprehend because I experienced everything in an instant. A shape was rising from the bed, sluggish and leaden. As I took in the sight of the figure, I stepped backwards, vaguely, I recognized Hoggart from his clothing, although at first I had the impression that he was wearing a mask. The lower half of his face was a ruined mess. There was a gaping red hole where his nose should have been, pale strands of gristle protruding through the blood-stained remnants of his nose. His teeth were exposed in a fearsome grin. The skin around his lips was gone, revealing a slender jawbone, and there was very little blood. His eyes blinked mechanically, betraying the fact that he was even alive. How could he be? The lower half of his face had been stripped away, consumed. His legs wobbled, and he stumbled back against the bed. I had a feeling the drug was wearing off. His wrecked face was rendering the cries unintelligible. And then... I spotted the huge spider on the duvet. It looked bloated, satisfied. Its legs trembled horribly. I flicked the material of the duvet and it fell to the floor, trying to scuttle away. My boot stamped quickly, squashing it against the carpet. Pale legs twitched. I swear I had a sickening crunch. I tried to grab my phone as Augur rolled around at the bed, shrieking frantically, fingering his destroyed face. 
He was mad with terror. It was a nightmarish scene. And above, the sound of his screams. I could hear Biggie's unhinged laughter coming from downstairs. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. So finding the perfect place is easier than ever. And so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom, and you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together, but you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the Internet, so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com, the place to find a pet-friendly place. Well... I suppose there's nothing quite so satisfying as an old itch scratched, don't you think? Our second story tonight echoes from the death rattle of a dying world. I give you Contractions, written by Kevin David Anderson. The day Aaron realized he wanted to eat his children, he knew he'd have to leave. The urges were first revealed in nightmares with gruesome cinematic clarity. A horror show, starring him in a reel of blood and pain. But now the scenes of him feasting on his own offspring ran in high definition in the wake of day. Like the other men before him, it was time to say goodbye before he did something that no man should have to live with. No sane man could live with. Stay another night, his wife said. Just one? Aaron held her boneless hands and pulled her aquatic-looking limbs around him. Tears streaked her pale cheeks. Heather, you know that I can't. 
He brushed a wisp of hair from her face and felt the strength of her new limbs encircling him. Like other women in town, Heather's arms had transformed. Seemingly overnight, human skin and fingers had given way to tentacles that could stretch far beyond their length. Just how far, no one really knew. But yesterday, she had closed the front gate outlining their property without leaving the porch. I would stop you, she said, if... if you tried to hurt the children. Please don't make this harder than it is, Aaron whispered. I got the urges, and I can't stay. Heather's arms held him in place like pythons, constricting, suffocating. Her cheek nuzzled the silver memento around Aaron's neck, a modest cross. She pulled back slightly. I can't understand why you wear this. You don't even believe. You gave it to me, Aaron said. That's reason enough. She looked up into Aaron's eyes. I don't want you to be alone when it happens. No one should be alone. Aaron touched the cross with his fingertips. I won't be, he said. Iggy Patel is going with me. Heather almost laughed. Iggy Pat, you don't even like him. Aaron chuckled and rested his forehead on hers. Actually, I hate his guts. They both laughed. Take care of our girls, he whispered. He said this knowing she would slight anyone that came near. And if you see me again, you know... What must be done? She nodded, closed her eyes, and released her husband of fifteen years. Aaron picked up his pack and shotgun, stepped off the porch his grandfather had built, and began walking, never looking back. As he passed through the front gate, he held an image of his family framed in his mind. His four girls, all sandy blonde, peppered with cinnamon freckles, standing around their mother. He preferred to picture Heather the day he first met her, stepping off a bus from Baltimore, lost, broke, and easily the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. But her new, end-of-the-world self just kept creeping back in. When Aaron first saw her arms were transforming, he knew what it meant. It had been happening all over town. Mothers went through the change just a few days before fathers began to get the insatiable hunger, the uncontrollable desire to eat children. The best Aaron could figure was that it was Mother Nature's way of striking some kind of insane balance in this chaotically shifting world. Thankful, at least, that enough was now known that he could avoid the fate of so many other families in the county, mothers clashing with fathers in an unholy custody battle. When a mother won, a father lay on the ground, often without a head. But when the father won, and the kids were not able to get away, then everybody died. And not quickly. It should have seemed horrific, Aaron knew. The idea of eating his children, his own children. But it wasn't. And it terrified him. So much had changed in the last two months since the universe had stopped growing. No. No, that wasn't what they were calling it. Expanding, he remembered. 
At first, it was believed that the global changes were the result of an industrial accident in space. But no amount of orbiting toxins could account for the fact that rocks now sometimes exploded. Rabbits gathered in ferocious, carnivorous packs. And the color yellow was now incredibly painful to touch. The last scientific expert Aaron saw on CNN before all broadcasts stopped claimed the universe was now snapping back, contracting. And the laws of physics, laws that once made the world a place of reason and understanding, were now mere suggestions that nature could ignore as it saw fit. It was as good an explanation as any, Aaron had thought at the time, while watching the scientist illustrate his theory with an elaborate equation that he didn't really have the remotest chance of understanding. But deep down... He knew nobody really had a clue as to why it was all coming to this strange end. To his mind, a physics equation couldn't explain why the trees all lived underground now, or why the clouds had decided to hunt and feed on airplanes. Iggy signaled Aaron with a gentle wave as they met up on the edge of town, neither saying more than two words to one another before heading out. Aaron stayed a good ten paces behind Iggy, hoping that the distance would discourage any notion Iggy might be entertaining of starting a conversation. He had nothing to say to Iggy, and he hoped to God Iggy didn't have anything to say to him. By mid-afternoon, Aaron could smell Iggy's physical effort wafting back to him on the trail. It curled his nostrils, and he lingered farther back. There wasn't much else to compete with the odor. Flowers no longer bloomed, and the fresh air just didn't seem so fresh anymore. Staleness rode the breeze, bringing with it the gentle reminder that it was all just winding down. Aaron was thinking about tying a bandana around his face to mask Iggy's stench when he felt the contraction coming. Just a trembling in his bowels at first, but within a few seconds the entire planet vibrated. When a contraction came, there were two choices. Hold on to something solid try to remain standing or lie down flat on your back eyes toward the heavens and just pray that God still gives a shit letting his pack fall to the ground Aaron dropped fast he pressed his hands flat palms down into the dirt and held his breath his guts ached gas expanded inside him and he felt like his head would pop he fought against his fear to keep his eyes open If this was it, the last and final one, then Aaron wanted to see it, face it, gaze down its gullet and maybe, just maybe, catch a glimpse of what would come next. The afternoon sky folded in on itself to the relentless pounding of thunder. Clouds appeared, then vanished in the span of a moment, and just when Aaron thought it was over, then came the pressure. Like weights pressing down on his body, a jolting acceleration, the entire planet becoming a roller coaster, plunging downward, banging hard to the right, then snapping back harder to the left. Stomach acid burned the back of Aaron's throat. His eyeballs grew heavy. The vibrations in his skull seemed to be trying to shake away the memory of all that he held dear. Who he was, the girls, Heather, and then, as quickly as the contraction came... It vanished. 
with a suddenness that almost lifted him into a seated position. He exhaled fast, vomiting a little, and then he rolled over on his side. After wiping his mouth, he looked over for Iggy. The grass and weeds were about two feet high, and if Iggy had hit the dirt, he was obscured. Hey. <coughs> hey, Ig. Aaron called out. You still with me? A quiet second passed before Aaron saw Iggy's hand rise up over the crest of the grass, delivering a very enthusiastic thumbs up. Oh, am I crazy? Or are those getting worse? Iggy said, his voice somewhat muffled by the grass. Aaron pushed himself up and wrapped his arms around his knees. No, I don't think that was any worse than this morning. But Aaron didn't really believe that. Dealing with four young girls, he had become accustomed to downplaying almost anything put in front of him as a means of comfort. It had worked. For a while. But then the contractions came. At least that's what a physicist at some university Aaron had never heard of had decided to call them. Some other scientist had tried calling them celestial gravitational subsonic inversions. But the name just didn't stick. But... Whatever they were called, they were definitely getting worse. No contraction had ever produced vomit from him before. And although the pressure was always there, that last one felt like an elephant squatting on his chest. No, no, I, I disagree, Iggy said, beginning to stand. I definitely think that they are getting worse. He picked up his pack. I just wish that I knew why. Iggy was like that. Aaron remembered him from high school, always asking questions, always wanting to understand. But trying to understand the physics of the end of the world was like trying to understand why the left sock always disappeared from the dryer. No one was ever going to truly understand why cars now drove themselves or why mountains disappeared in the night. The end of the world had its own understanding. Iggy was nearly to his feet when he suddenly froze, eyes forward. Aaron tried to find what Iggy was locked onto, but he saw nothing. A few still beats passed. Aaron held his breath. Then Iggy craned his head back, making several quick hand gestures. They hadn't worked any signals out beforehand, but it didn't take a codebreaker to surmise what Iggy was saying. Aaron got the message crystal clear. They had company. With the ears of an experienced hunter, Aaron turned into the sounds. There were at least two different approach patterns. One to the right, the other dead ahead. Iggy gestured, identifying what kind of creatures were about to strike. He wiggled his fingers and forearm, mimicking the motions of a snake. The ones that slither, Aaron thought to himself. He gripped his gun, scanned, and tried not to breathe. The former mammals that had lost most of their bones usually hunted in pairs. Attacking so fast, victims rarely had the opportunity to scream before being swallowed alive. Aaron motioned back for Iggy to draw a bead on the one in front while he targeted the one on the right. 
He had just gotten his gun up and checked the sights when the tall grass moved. Flecks of auburn hair weaved in the fading sunlight, then dove like a sea serpent moving across the ocean's surface. Aaron followed the bending grass, trying to find an opening. He soon realized that if he waited for a clear shot, it would be on him before he got a chance to fire. Narrowing his gaze, he anticipated the thing's root and took aim. Aaron held his breath, but before he pulled the trigger, it slithered into an opening. He saw its face, mouth open, teeth bent outward, hair flapping around its scalp like alien tendrils. Glimpsing a white patch of skin making up the nape of its neck, he fired. He rocked back from the recoil, placing a hand behind him for balance. The beast's forward progress had been halted, but it would not lie still. Blood sprayed up like a broken sprinkler as its deformed mass thrashed in the grass. Aaron heard Iggy's rifle fire, then the fast sound of the bolt being pulled back and slamming back again. Aaron got to his feet and saw Iggy fire again. The thing was hit, but it still charged. God damn it, Iggy, pull back! Aaron screamed, running forward, raising his gun. The thing and Iggy were so close, Aaron didn't have a clear shot. Iggy, get down! Aaron ordered, heart pounding. But Iggy held his ground, slammed the bolt forward again, and fired. The shell casing almost hit Aaron as he arrived at Iggy's side, shotgun poised to fire. Both men held, still waiting for the result of Iggy's last shot. A hissing moan rose from the grass. Then, something large and furry flopped over, tail twitching, lungs gasping. And then it lay still. Aaron let out a long, hot breath as he knelt, his weight coming down much harder than he'd intended. He looked over at Iggy, whose eyes were huge, white spheres against the backdrop of his dark olive skin. You... Aaron started, then decided to take a few more breaths before attempting speech again. You all right? (laughs) I think... (laughs) Iggy looked down. I think that I... I may need to change my shorts. (laughs) Well... Damn, that... That sure as hell ain't gonna make you smell any better. Iggy smiled, and then laughed. Aaron reached for Iggy's rifle... Let me see this relic. Aaron sized up Iggy's old firearm. Jesus Christ, Ig. If I'd known you were going to cover my ass with a BB gun, I'd have grabbed my kid's slingshot. It's a family heirloom. Well, your heirloom just about ended you. Next time, why don't you just try harsh language? Iggy snatched his weapon, feigning an insulted look. Okay, great white hunter. How'd you do? Nearly took its head off, Aaron said, but remembered the thing still thrashing in the grass. He put a hand on Iggy's shoulder, pushing himself up. Guess I'd better go check. 
With his muzzle trained, he returned to his firing position. Then he stepped over to where the blood had redecorated the grassy landscape. The thrashing had stopped, and only the breeze hinted at the movement. Auburn hair fluttered under the weight of blood and pieces of scalp liberated from the young woman's head by a shotgun blast. Aaron pushed the head over with his muzzle, allowing its dead eyes to stare skyward. Scarcely discernible as human, the eyes had been pulled around to the side of its head, like a bird or reptile. Dropping to a knee, Aaron tried to guess how young she must have been when it happened. Fifteen. Probably not a day more, he decided. The common wisdom about this phenomenon was that it not only happened across species, but also seemed to occur in adolescent offspring. Teenagers. The first one Aaron had killed still had the headphones from some device wrapped around its body and boneless neck. Oh, hell, Iggy said. I think that's Gail Mitchner's kid. Aaron didn't answer. Iggy must have thought he didn't remember. You know, Iggy continued, Gail Anderson in high school. But Aaron did remember. He'd been seeing her off and on about the same time he started dating his future wife. Certainly not his proudest moment. She married that drifter suddenly. You remember? Aaron nodded, hoping that would be enough for Iggy to drop it. His chest tightened and acid burned his throat as the history he denied himself came flooding back. He had broken it off with Gail after falling for Heather. A few weeks later, Gail was showing early signs of motherhood under her waitress uniform. Then, almost overnight, she was married and picking out baby names. Gail never said Aaron was the father, but she never said he wasn't mostly because he didn't ask. Aaron closed his eyes. He didn't want to see how much the auburn hair clinging to frayed pieces of scalp lying in blood-spattered grass was the same shade as the locks of his four girls. Iggy shouldered his weapon. Didn't you used to go out with Gail? You know, way back when? Aaron took a deep breath, tried to ignore Iggy. Lots of people used to say the Michener guy wasn't the father. Jesus fucking Christ, Ig. Aaron snapped. What are you in a goddamn sewing circle? Iggy fell quiet and bent back a little. Aaron turned away. Come on. I want a few miles between us and this mess before dark. I'll take point. They walked in silence until Aaron's feet began to hurt. The sun started to set in the north this evening and there just wasn't enough twilight left to gather wood for a fire. Making camp at the top of a hill, deep in the woods, the only sign of civilization was a fairly large farmhouse nestled a good half mile away. Spying it through his binoculars, Aaron could see it was occupied. At least two adults. There was a child's swing set in the backyard. Knowing that Iggy's cannibalistic urges had started a few nights before his own, Aaron decided to keep that detail about the swing to himself. Both men sat down on opposite sides of the fire, pulled out sandwiches their respective wives had prepared, and started to eat in silence. 
After a few bites, Aaron started to feel bad about snapping at Iggy. And since they were going to be each other's only company for the next two days, he thought he'd try to smooth things out. Lake Placid, the place where the men in the county had collectively decided to gather when the urges struck them, was a long and hard hike. Even though he didn't care much for Iggy, they needed to work together to make the journey. So, Ig, have you heard anything from your part of the world? Iggy swallowed, then frowned. This is my part of the world. We were born in the same town, you redneck jackass. Aaron sighed and forced himself not to reply with an insult. You know what I mean. Anything from a relative back in India or something. We haven't heard anything in a week, Niggy said. Before Skype went down, my mom's sister said that the birds were turning into dinosaurs. Niggy shook his head. Most of Asia went quiet after that. Aaron had no idea what birds had to do with dinosaurs, but wasn't really interested enough to ask. He took another bite and spoke from the corner of his mouth. So, you, um, believe what they say? Who? The scientists. You know, the ones that say the universe is done expanding and whatnot. That these earthquakes are really interstellar contractions. Universe collapsing back in on itself. Iggy shook his head. There will always be those that must find a logical and rational explanation for everything. I don't think anyone will ever know. What about you? You'll buy into this scientific explanation of the end of everything? Aaron scoffed. Doesn't really sound all that Christian to me. So, what do you think? Iggy said, lowering his sandwich. Oh, hell, I don't know, Ig. Maybe God's just tired. Tired of sorting it all out. Tired of keeping the devil in the box. Tired of separating heaven and hell. Aaron sighed deeply. Maybe he just decided to let the little bastard have it all. They sat quiet for a few minutes, both men chewing slowly and staring into the fire. Images from the last few weeks ran through Aaron's mind. A jetliner that had turned to liquid over Main Street. The shrieks of a teenager as her body transformed into a slithering nightmare. And the screams. The screams of children watching their desperate parents duel. Aaron shook his head. I'm sorry to bring the party down, Egg. Whatever happens. However, this all ends... I'm sure we'll be in heaven soon enough. Reunited with... Loved ones. Last night I tried to eat my son. Iggy said sharply. Tears welling in his eyes. What makes you think that there is a place... For me in heaven? My God. Egg, I... When my wife heard our child's screams, she stopped me before I killed him, but the boy will never walk again. Aaron didn't know what to say. He just sat still, 
trying not to imagine the scene. Not sure why she didn't kill me. By God, I do wish that she had. Neither spoke for several minutes, both listening to the crackling fire. Finally, Aaron broke the silence. It, um, it wasn't your fault, Egg. Eggy smiled, wiped the tears that had not yet fallen. In any case, my friend, there is no heaven for me. Even if I am forgiven, I can never forgive myself. Aaron was desperate to change the subject, or at least lighten the mood. Anything to chase the image of Iggy feasting on his boy's legs from his mind. He picked up some wood and fed the fire, which didn't need feeding. So, what does Allah have to say about all this? Iggy smirked and shook his head. Such a fucking redneck. I am not Muslim. Aaron chuckled. Okay, how about the Buddha, then? Iggy rolled his eyes. I am Hindi. Aaron shrugged. Well, it still doesn't clear much up for me. No kidding. Iggy put down the balance of his sandwich in order to use both hands as he continued. My religion has many stories of the end of days, via Kali and Shiva. But I think they are just stories. As this world is just a dream bit of a nightmare at the moment, really. World's a dream, Aaron said. Iggy looked across the fire intently. Vishnu is dreaming this world, and when he wakes it, we will all be gone. That's a beautiful thought, Egg. You and your wife tell your kids that story before they go to bed? My children prefer Harry Potter, but I do think there is some truth in the story of Vishnu. Oh, well, do tell. I think what our world is experiencing is merely the changing of the dreams. As one dream dies, Vishnu will give birth to another. Aaron was quiet for a moment, wondering how seriously Iggy believed that. He looked across the fire and saw Iggy trying to hide a smirk. And then the two men both broke out laughing. Aaron chucked his stick into the fire. Did a nifty, snake-charming voodoo whistle come with that religion of yours? Not exactly, Iggy said. Glow-in-the-dark decoder ring shaped like Gandhi's bald head. <laughs> Very nice. A gunshot echoed in the trees. Aaron jumped to his feet, instinctively grabbing his gun. Iggy got up a bit slower, and they stared at one another across the fire. A second. Then a third shot rang out. Where's it coming from? Iggy said. But Aaron was already moving in the direction of the shots, now accompanied by distant screams. Iggy was on his heels and nearly collided with him as Aaron stopped to look down at the farmhouse. Every light in the house was on. There was movement on the porch and billows of smoke drifting over the yard from the shotgun blasts. Aaron took a step down the hill but found Iggy's hand on his shoulder. You can't go down there. You know what's happening. Aaron took his binoculars off his hip and brought them up. He did know what was happening, but still felt a perverse desire to see. 
Through the magnified lens, he saw the front door fly open so hard the screen was knocked off its frame. A heavy set woman stumbled through the opening, her appendage transformation clearly visible. One tentacle dragged on the ground behind her like a tail, tattered and torn, while the other snaked across the porch. A blast from inside rang out and she fell forward, down the steps into the yard. She scurried in the grass, trying to regain her feet. Aaron lowered the binoculars just as something caught his attention. Two kids, a boy of ten years and a little girl not yet half that, ran into the night, toward the swing set in the backyard. Shit, Aaron said. Stay here, Egg. Why? If you're going, I could help. Without thinking, Aaron swung around, instinctively leveling his gun at Iggy's chest. You know why. Iggy took a step back and narrowed his gaze. In an instant, Aaron knew that any trust or camaraderie they had built had been destroyed in the span of a gesture. Iggy held up his hands. Fine. Go. Aaron didn't hesitate. He spun around and charged down the hill. A former high school running back, he still had the speed of an 18-year-old, but lacked the endurance. By the time he neared the farmhouse, his lungs were burning and he gasped for air. As he entered the yard, a man limped on the porch, using a rifle as a crutch to support a grotesquely broken leg. He shambled to the wooden steps. Aaron locked eyes to the man for a moment, but the man had no interest in him. He limped down the steps and moved toward the spot his wife had fallen, gun raised. Something slithered in the grass, and moonlight glinted off a long tentacle that emerged from the darkness and coiled around the man's broken leg. He screamed, then aimed at some unseen target and fired. The shot found its mark. And the woman rose from the grass, then dropped back to the ground. She twisted like dying roadkill. Her spine was completely blown out. Staggering, the man hobbled over to the woman, reloading his weapon as he moved. Aaron didn't have time to call out and try to reason with the man. He got as close as he dared, steadied his aim, and fired. Hit straight through the chest, the man fell back, crimson spraying the porch. Aaron moved forward, cautiously, and then stood over the man. Aaron's aim had put one near his heart, but to his amazement the dying man started to rise. Aaron swung the butt of his gun at the man's face, connecting just below the jaw. He hadn't meant to swing that hard, but the adrenaline had consumed him. He heard the jawbone break and teeth flew out, disappearing into the grass. The man slumped into a motionless pile of ragged clothes, blood, and broken bones. A gurgling rose up behind him. Aaron knelt down next to the woman, her only functioning tentacle flopping in the grass like a fresh catch suffocating on the deck of a fishing boat. The light was fading in her weary eyes, and Aaron gazed deep, looking for any sign of lingering humanity. But all he saw was the raw instinct that fired a mother to protect her offspring primal instinct animal instinct my god he thought is this what Heather is now 
For a moment, he was glad he wasn't with her. He could never bear to see her become this. She continued, tears of red lining her cheeks. Aaron got to his feet, preparing to use his next shot to put this animal down. He had just leveled the muzzle at her forehead when a scream came from the backyard. A child's scream. Aaron bolted around the house. He still hadn't caught his breath from his sprint, but managed to reach the backyard in a few seconds. He followed the screams, now high-pitched shrieks of terror. The children had taken refuge in a homemade fort of plywood, but their wooden haven was under attack. Iggy had a hold of the older boy's leg and was pulling him free of the fort. The little girl screamed as Iggy brought his teeth down on the boy's foot. Iggy, stop! Aaron shouted, bringing the rifle up. Stopped for a moment, Iggy met Aaron's eyes. I'm sorry, but I cannot wait. Oh, Aaron, you need to try this. It just feels right. Like the woman in the front yard, there was nothing human in his eyes anymore. Just instinct. Just animal. Aaron pulled the trigger. Iggy fell back into darkness, blown off his feet and into the shadows. The boy recoiled as crimson spray colored his foot. Stepping fast, Aaron checked to make sure Iggy wasn't getting up again. He wouldn't. The shot was straight through the heart, and Aaron was relieved he wouldn't have to look him in the face and finish him. He knelt down and closed the dead man's eyes. Aaron turned and saw the boy getting to his feet. It's all right now, kid. Get away from me, the boy shouted, fear visibly rippling in his body. No, no, I, I ain't gonna hurt you, kid, Aaron said. Daddy, the little girl said as she bolted out from the fort and into Aaron's arms. Aaron let his gun fall in order to embrace the girl. Carrie, that's not dad, the boy shouted. Get away from him. Aaron could feel the child trembling, and he rubbed her back softly. Is your name Carrie? She looked up at him with tear-streaked eyes and nodded. Well, I have a little girl named Carrie. Aaron smiled. She's a little older, but... Aaron inhaled deeply. She smells just like you. The images of his girls flooded in his mind. The way they talked, the way they move, the sound of their laughter echoed in his memory. Just like you, he said. He brushed her hair with his hand, which seemed to calm her. Calm her in a way it did a chicken right before lobbing its head off. There, there. No more tears. Aaron was surprised at how soothing his voice had become. And then he had an outlandish thought. An alien idea at first, but... It also made a strange kind of sense. He speculated as to how much pressure it took... To bite through a child's skull. Could he do it in one try? Or would he have to gnaw at it like a dog chewing a bone? 
Maybe if you could just get the angle right. Get away from her! Came a voice far outside his thoughts. He felt something strike the side of his head, and as he fell back, he saw the silhouette of a boy swinging his gun. With his back flat on the ground, Aaron felt it first. The earth was beginning to shake. Another contraction was coming. Looking up at the stars, now tracers of dotted light, he shouted. Kids, get down! He couldn't see if they obeyed as the bone-breaking pressure came much, much faster this time. Heavy and violent. He tried to turn his head, but the blow to his skull sent pain down his neck. With his gaze locked straight up, he had a spectacular panoramic view of a once-in-a-trillion-millennium event blossoming directly overhead. The blurry lines of stars winked out like dying light bulbs in a distant and unreadable marquee. Then, very thin at first, a glowing line bisected the night sky, dilating as it stretched across and beyond Aaron's vision. The Milky Way-sized fissure began to open, ripping the heavens in half. Aaron peered into the chasm, unable to move, unable to blink, and saw all the way back to the beginning of everything, gestating in a passageway that was impossible to know. But deep down, in every cell, every atom that comprised his insignificance, he did know it. Aaron had stood by and watched hundreds of domesticated animals come into this world, held his wife's hand as she delivered their four children. Aaron knew a birth canal when he saw one. The earth pressing his back became less violent, as if the part of the planet he was on had detached from the rest. The air was thin. He gasped for each breath and his lungs began to ache. Still unable to blink, and not really wanting to, he watched as the remaining stars fell into the enormous opening above, like marbles rolling off an uneven table. Summoning up the last vestige of control he had over his body, he brought a hand up to his chest and dug under his shirt, grasping the cross Heather had given him. It offered no comfort. It offered no understanding. Only the memory. The memory of her and his girls. He clutched so tight the silver edges cut into his skin. And then from above, something began to emerge. Forcing its way through, it pushed, tearing at the boundaries of the canal, destroying the passage as it came into being. It was fire and ice, the beginning and the end, all things and nothing, and it exploded into existence with a shriek of pain and cosmic awareness. It was the end of one dream, and the beginning of the next. Aaron laughed, not because he found anything funny, but because he had a glint of understanding now. Not much. But it was enough. Congratulations, Aaron whispered, squeezing the cross with all the strength that remained to him. It's a universe. 
thank you for joining me tonight at the Horror Hill. Lord of the Sand was written by Stephen Bacon. Stephen Bacon's short fiction has been published in Black Static, Shadows and Tall Trees, Cemetery Dance, Crime Wave, Postscripts, and Nightmare Magazine, and has been selected for the best horror of the year. His debut collection, Peel Back the Sky, was published in 2012 and was nominated for a British Fantasy Award. He is the author of the novellas Lantern Rock and Laudanum Nights. Forthcoming is his second short story collection, Murmured in Dreams, from Luna Press. He lives in South Yorkshire, UK, with his family and an increasingly large collection of paperback books. You can visit him at www.stephenbacon.co.uk or at BaconSteven if you use Twitter. Contractions was written by Kevin David Anderson. Many of Kevin David Anderson's short stories have appeared in podcasts like Pseudopod, The Drabblecast, and The Doonstief. Anderson's novel, Night of the Living Trekkies, from Quirk Books, earned positive reviews in the L.A. Times, The Washington Post, Fangoria, and received a starred review in Publishers Weekly. Anderson is an active member of the Horror Writers Association, with a B.A. in Mass Communication and 15 years of award-winning marketing experience. For more on him, go to www. KevinDavidAnderson.com Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit SimplyScaryPodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson, under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, Subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor 
and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already... Be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.